If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy and I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. It's a joy to open up the scriptures with you today. And if you are new, we're in the uh, middle of a series on worship. And I'm gonna talk to you today about the priority of worship. And I'm gonna ask you if you have a Bible to turn over to the book of Revelation. Chapter four and chapter five is where we're going to be today. And we started this series just a couple of weeks ago and we began in the book of Exodus with the words that Moses spoke to Pharaoh and I'm guessing many of us can even finish the sentence now, let my people go that they may worship me. And so we were were instructed that worship, long before it is a sacrifice we make or an offering we give, worship is a grace that God bestows on us. God doesn't need worship, he needs nothing. But he gives us his presence, communion with him. He took this wonderful community of people out of slavery and turned them into prophets and priests and kings and he brought them into communion with himself. The story of Israel, this great narrative that God wrote across the centuries is this, let my people go that they may come back into communion with me, that they may know me, that they may dwell with me and I may dwell with them. And so worship is this great gift which is given to us. And then we discovered that the very same words that are spoken in the book of Exodus to God's people at Mount Sinai are spoken in the New Testament over everyone who believes, whether Jewish or Gentile, that we have all become priestly people. And the scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter two that we are all living stones, not living bricks. Bricks are man-made and uniform. They all look the same and they're easily stacked. But stones are all different. They're different sizes and different shapes and different colors. And the scriptures call us living stones. We're not only you know, different sizes and different shapes and different colors and we're hard to fit together. We're also living, we're moving around. Imagine trying to do that on a building site. And so the church is a hard hat area. And we are being built together through the Holy Spirit, it says, into a dwelling place of God where, as a priesthood, we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God, which are acceptable to him. And and we looked at some of those sacrifices last week, our whole lives. Paul says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is worship unto him. So worship, as God's priestly people, isn't confined to simply something we do in a in a service like this, but our whole lives are offered over to God as worship. Our giving, which has already been highlighted for us this morning, is a way that we give to God. You may give in a church, but Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said that what you have sent to me for my work is before God a beautiful aroma and sacrifice that goes to him. So we're taught that actually worship is is, includes all of that kind of material support that goes into ministry. And then in the, the writer of Hebrews says that through Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God's grace and holy name. And so it is this offering of thanksgiving and praise to God that is worship as well. Now, of course, if I were to summarize all that as priestly people, it would mean this, that as a congregation, we look 
Because God has redeemed us for this. Christ has shed his blood for this. We, we look to savor God's presence. We want to savor God's presence. And that means you don't rush. You don't get in a big hurry with it. You want to be at rest in the Lord and you want to listen for his voice and you want to dwell with him. You cherish and treasure that presence. Now, not everybody does. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche said that uh, those who were seen dancing were thought to be mad by all of those who could not hear the music. And so there are plenty of people who when they see you leave your house and gather up children and gather with other people who are very different from you and come together to spend time in prayer and hearing the scriptures and blessing the Lord together, they kind of think, that's really different. I don't see the value in that, but God is teaching us to love his presence, to savor his presence, because remember, worship isn't a music hall, it's not a lecture hall, it's a banquet hall. There is a feast that God's prepared for us, and feasts are things that are savored. That's what, see, see, fast food is not called fast food because it's served fast. Have you discovered that? I mean, I see people sit in drive-thrus for half an hour waiting for, 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 for their food. Now, there, there, are, there are places that are much better at arranging all of that. There are, I don't wanna do brands, but there are, I'll just say chicken places that are really, really good, they will get you through. <laughs> They're like, they've got that down to an art and that's really beautiful and amazing and I, if they would just run the country, we'd all be fine. Okay, just put those guys in charge. That'd be excellent. So, so but, but here's the thing. Nobody, nobody gets, gets the styrofoam box in your car and nobody opens it and goes, oh. You know, nobody, nobody savors. Nobody savors that industrial byproduct cleverly disguised as a hamburger. That's, that's really not, not the way. No, 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 that's not, what fast, that's not what you do with fast food. You don't savor it. No, but you savor a beautifully prepared meal that is composed of remarkably grown ingredients, beautifully presented, and you take hours over it, and it feels like 15, 20 minutes. You're cared for, you're served, and you go, that was beautiful, that was memorable, you savor it. Worship is a feast, and the invitation to come into God's presence is extended to all. And I wanna to talk to you about why that is such a priority in our lives. Let's look at Revelation chapter four, verse one, and you're gonna find one of the most beautiful words of invitation. I wanna to talk to you about worship's invitation, worship's restoration, and then worship's calibration. Very briefly, very simple message. After this, I looked. Now this is John. He is, he says, on the Lord's day. That's the first day of the week. Bear that in mind, first day of the week. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, and he hears a voice. He hears a voice. After this, I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven. Please note, the door to heaven is what? Open. The door is open. It is open for any and all who will draw near. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, 
Whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. The door to heaven is open. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Someone is there. Now, he spends the rest of the chapter describing this scene, but notice the door is open in heaven. He comes up and the very first thing he encounters as he enters heaven is God's throne. Someone is there. And then in chapter five, he describes what goes on. Verse one, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and seated, sealed, sorry, with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now somebody says, Look, a lion, what do you expect to see? What do you expect to see a lion? But I turned and I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He goes on to describe the lamb, and it says in verse seven, he went out and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and, what's the next word? Priests. There it is. By Christ's blood sprinkled on our lives, we've been made priestly people to worship our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen. And then all the elders of heaven fell down and worshiped. How many know that's church? That's a worship service. That's a, really what happens in the book of Revelation is a worship service unfolds. It's a feast. It culminates in chapter 19 with these words, blessed is everyone who's invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
So the very first thing that, that happens is an invitation. Let's talk about this invitation. Why does God give us this invitation to come? It is on the Lord's day. It's on the first day. The first day is very important in scripture, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. God said, let there be light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and there was evening and morning the first day. Light shines into the darkness on the first day. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, light broke out of the tomb and Christ was raised from the dead. On the first day, God poured out his Holy Spirit on the believing community in Jerusalem and empowered them to bear witness to Jesus in the whole world. The first of what occurs is very important in scripture and sometimes it's combined with this phrase, the first fruits or the first things. Honor the Lord from the first of all that you have. What does that mean? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that what comes at the first has a relationship to everything that comes after it and it makes it holy, it sanctifies it. So what happens at the first has a relationship to the rest, it makes it holy. If the first is holy, then the rest is holy as well. This is why Christ is called the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. The character of his resurrection is the character of our resurrection. What occurred to him 2,000 years ago in history is what will occur with all of us on the last day of history. He was raised on the first day of the week, so we would be raised on the last day of all time. And so the character of what occurred to him is what represents what will happen to us. It has this ongoing character. So the first day is this day of worship. And what does that mean? It means it sanctifies all the other days. When you and I gather together with God's people, we are acknowledging not just that Sunday is his, not just the first day is his, but all the days are his. Most people don't wake up on Thursday going, I've, this is a holy day. Thursdays are so holy to me. That's not, that's, not where most people, that's not where most people live. But sometimes people think, well now, Sunday's holy, Sunday's a special day, and it is, and we need to be mindful of that, but the, the, the impact of that means that Monday is holy. And Tuesday, that's holy too. So is Friday. Every other day is made holy because of what happens there. It's the same thing with your giving. When you give from the first, if you take all the finances that you have and then you take the first part and you offer it up, what does it do to the rest of it? Well, it makes the rest of it holy. Now, that's very important because that means you can't be guilted into trying to do something with it to make it more than what it is. Um, you know, look, uh, if you gave from the first, that makes the rest of it holy. So if you, if you already gave and honored God with that part of your money, then the rest of it is holy. That means you can buy the boat. <laughs> People come up to me and go, Pat, I don't know if I should buy the boat. And I'm like, well, well, did you, did you honor God from the first? Yeah, well, have you helped people that are in need? Well, yeah, well then buy the boat. Now some of you are going, that is a word from the Lord for me and I'm so glad I came to church today. 
I preached this last night. A guy came up to me afterwards. He said, that was the word I needed. I needed. And I said, well, there's a verse right under it that says the pastor gets the first ride on the boat. It's right there in the footnotes, I promise you. It's in a study Bible somewhere. The first makes everything else holy. And that's why this invitation is extended. Come up here. Come up here. There's, there's an open door. Come into the throne room of God. What an invitation. I got an invitation once to dinner at the White House. It was really something. Now, this is a long time ago. I had hair, all right? This is, this is the Reagan administration, all right? This, now, for some of you, that's in a history book, all right? But for the, some of us, that's a living memory, okay? All right, so I get this invitation. I get this invitation. It's dinner at the White House. It was in honor of Margaret Thatcher. I could get my picture taken with Margaret Thatcher after dinner. I'm like, yes, yes, check that box. I'm coming. But then there was a note at the bottom that said it was a $10,000 a plate <laughs> deal. And I was like, yeah, no. I'm not actually invited to something that is freely given. I've got to earn my way in. I've got to buy my way in. But listen to this word from heaven. Heaven's door is wide open and to everybody God says what? Come up here. Come up here. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Why is that important? Because what we encounter in heavenly worship is transformational and we need transforming. We came today, many of us, with our grief, with our pain, with our sorrows. We came with our sin, we came with our sadness, we came with heaviness of heart. That's especially true for you know University of Miami fans, a lot of heaviness of heart. Okay. Florida State fans rejoicing. All right, that's fine. Your day will come, bless the Lord. We come with all of these things, and you know, it's very interesting. God doesn't say, what? don't bring that in here. Wipe your feet at the door. Don't bring, don't bring your addictions in here. No, 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 don't bring, your, don't bring your sins in here. Don't mention that kind of stuff in my presence. If you're sad, don't come in my house. No, 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 that's not at all what happens. He just says, come up here, come up here, and then you see something. You see a throne, and you see someone on it, and he's got a scroll. And the scroll is his plan that is written across the ages. And of course, you want to know what that plan is because you've been going through sorrow, been going through pain, may have spent a couple of weeks in the ICU. Lord, what are you doing? What's going on in the world? Can somebody please open up the plan to me and show me what's going on? And so this, this voice is heard. Is there anyone in heaven who can open up this scroll? And the answer came back, no one. No one, not Moses, not Abraham, not Elijah, not Esther, not Nehemiah, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. No one is worthy to open the scroll. And what does this person begin to do? What does John begin to do? He begins to weep. I need to know what's in the scroll. I need to know what the plan is. I'm trying to understand what the will of God is. I want to know. I don't know what's going on. He begins to weep and weep and weep. And then a voice comes to him and says three words. Weep no more. Would you say it with me? Weep 
no more. Come up here, weep no more. Weep no more. Later in the book of Revelation in chapter seven, it, it says that when we are before the throne of God, Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He, it, now notice, it doesn't say he will dry your tears. I mean, you know, like, like be a giant blower, just other dry. No, no, no. To wipe away a tear is an intimate action. You have to be close to someone. To wipe away the tear, you have to take your hand, you have to touch that person's face. We are never before God just as a group. When we're before God, you are before God by name, personally loved and cherished and cared for. And your tears are precious to him and he will touch you at the place of your weeping. And he will dry those tears. He will wipe them away. Because the vision of Jesus swallows up all of the pain and all of the sorrow and all of the grief that we've endured. It is completely worth it to feel the nail-scarred hand of Jesus touch your face and take away every tear. Weep no more. Why? Because he's the lamb. Weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. And so he is worthy. No one else is worthy. Jesus is different than every other person in history. Jesus is unique. Sometimes people are offended by the claim that Jesus is unique, but he is. He is different than every other person in human history. And here he is the only one, even in heaven, who can open up the scroll. Why? Because he was slain. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself for our sins on the cross. He was a lamb standing as if slain. Because the one who died is the one who was raised and he lives. And he lives to shepherd us, to care for us, to lead us. And he takes the scroll, it says, and he begins to unfold it. And that's this final point. Verse six. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing, and I want you to notice what the text says, at the center of the throne. The one on the throne and the lamb are indistinguishable. They are persons united. And he is at the center. At the center of the whole universe, is heaven itself. At the center of heaven is a throne room. And at the center of the throne is the lamb who was slain. And this is why we need this final act, this calibration of worship. I don't typically like to use mechanistic metaphors when I'm talking about the soul or human life, but in this case it fits. What happens when you calibrate something? It is the act or the process of determining, checking, or rectifying the settings or the gradations on a, a measuring instrument, 
or another, another piece of precision equipment. In other words, things get out of order. The second law of thermodynamics say that things run downwards unless they're acted on by an outside force. Hot things get cold, cold things get warm. In our fallen world and in our fallen state, we move away from God and we do it imperceptibly, we do it quietly, we don't necessarily run away, we don't raise our hands in rebellion, we just are carried away. I love going to the beach. A couple of days ago, we were at the beach. We were talking about our first trips as ever to a beach as kids. My first one was to Virginia Beach, and then I went to Daytona Beach. And at Daytona Beach, unlike Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach waves are just going crazy. Daytona Beach, at the time I went, I was in my mid-teens. I, it was just, just like glass. And I decided I'd take the boogie board, and I'd get out there, and I'd just float. So I got out there, and I saw where my dad and mom were on the beach right there, just right there. And I'm on that boogie board and I'm just laying there rejoicing in God's good creation, blessing his name, worshiping. I wasn't doing that. I was just trying to make you think I was more spiritual than I really was when I was 16. <laughs> but I was out there, I was out there, I was just loving it, lapping all this up. And I'm just, I just, just enjoying it. About 20 minutes later, I decided to look up and I looked up and I went, who moved my parents? We're, we're, they're over there. Why did they move? Well, of course, they didn't move. I drifted. I drifted. And I didn't do it because I was, see, I wasn't doing anything sinful. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just being carried along by the way the creation is. And I had to get back to the center back to the point of reference. You see, this is why we need the calibration of the centrality of the throne and the lamb at the center of the throne. Here's why, because again, you don't have to rebel against God and run away from him. All you have to do is, is just be still in this world and you will, I promise you, drift. And, and, and by Thursday, you will look up and go, whoa, okay, Tuesday. I mean, you're like, wow. Were you running from God? No. Were you in rebellion against God? No. No, but things, life just happens and it, you drift. And then we need to hear a voice like a trumpet on the first day of the week that says to us again, come up here. Weep no more. I'm the lamb. I was slain. I shed my blood for you. I will wipe every tear from your eye. I'm gonna unroll the scroll now and I'm gonna let you in on my plan. I'm gonna show you where this whole thing is going. And you know what the response of heaven to that was? Worship. You see, and I won't take time to read through it again, but if you notice, it, it'll say is he takes the scroll it says, then the four living creatures and the elders who are very close to the throne, they begin to sing out, worthy is the lamb. And then it says, there's a wider circle around the throne and it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. And they begin to sing out, you are worthy, blessed are you, O lamb of God. You, you are the worthy one. To you all blessing and honor belong. And then it goes into a wider circle, everything in heaven and everything on the earth and everything under the earth and everything in the ocean. Those jellyfish begin to cry out, Lord, you're worthy. In other words, as soon as Christ takes the scroll 
All of creation in an ever-increasing circle of praise and worship begins to return up to heaven the anthem of worship that all of creation was made for. My friends, what is happening in human history is that the song that starts in heaven is going out into the whole world and the day will come at the very end when the whole universe will be filled with the anthem of the praises of Almighty God. And all of the stars and all of the moons and all of the sea creatures and everything in heaven and on earth will look up and say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You were slain, now you're alive. You died for us, we bless your name. And every single week, you're invited on the first day of the week into the last day of history to join angels. And too often our response to that is to say, well, I'm kind of busy. My friends, that's why our hearts need to be recalibrated. They need to come back to the center. Worship centers our souls on Jesus. Because friends, let me tell you something today. The lamb who was slain is alive and he's on the throne. And that means this morning, the tomb is empty, but the throne is not. Thanks be to God. Won't you stand with me? Lord, faithful God, we drift. Yes, Lord, some of us run, but all of us drift. Our hearts wander. Bring us back to the center. Help us to cherish the invitation. The words come up here. Lord, for all those here today who have tears, speak to them. Your grace, weep no more. And with your hand, would you wipe away those tears? With your tender mercy, be near all those who suffer. And Lord, in each of our hearts, let the song of heaven, worthy is the Lamb, let that song Find a place in our soul so that with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, with all of those who've gone before us, we join in now and we sing to the one and of the one who reigns forevermore. Let's lift our hearts to God and sing his praise.